Welcome back, everyone, to the Cyclone Scoop podcast. I'm here with Mike Casaza of Ear Sports. Obviously, we're headed into already the ninth game of the year for Iowa State as they're set to host the West Virginia Mountaineers this week. Mike, thank you so much for coming on this week, my friend. Pleasure to do this, Nick. Uh, it seemed like just yesterday we were doing this in the preseason in uh, Dallas, and look where we are now. So many years and so many months and so many surprises later, huh? Truly. I mean, you're spot on. And that's that's why I kind of went to you. I know you guys have a lot of good people over there. And you know that that almost goes seamlessly into my first question. This matchup, both teams are three and five as we're well into Big 12 play. You know, maybe not a lot of people kind of pick these teams to win the Big 12. But I would have thought certainly on this end that Iowa State would have had more than three wins, basically heading into November at this point. How do you feel West Virginia has been, you know, really throughout the season compared to expectations going into the year? They have not cleared the bar too often, certainly not often enough. But when you look at the offensive changes they made on the sideline, on the field, and then how some of their their years-long projects had progressed, namely offensive line, but maybe some some maturity, that could be physically, that could be mentally, but maturity at receiver, it looked like they were going to have a pretty good offense. And by and large, that's been true. And then you kind of combine that with, I would say, a track record of of above average defensive play. You know, the pandemic year, they were number one in the country in pass defense. And they rebounded from kind of a choppy transition from the first year because they had a really abrupt change at the coordinator position. We don't have to go into it. It was pretty ugly, but um Things seem to level out, and all of a sudden they get stability. They go into last season not as good offensively, excuse me, defensively, but they brought back a lot of people this year that were going to be, they thought, kind of stalwarts on their defensive line, and they'd always been good in the defensive line. Now they're going to have maybe their best defensive line group in quite some time. All they had to do was find some transfers to play defensive back. And, man, I don't know if they went over for Nick, but they went pretty close to over when it came to corners and some of the, the niche safety positions they have it. This hasn't been very good. Um, just haven't been able to get the offense and the defense on the same page or they both play well, you know, in the same quarter or the same half or just so they can just get stops and get scores and, and not have to really overachieve on one end to to meet the underachieving of the other. And by and large, when the defense is left and down, I don't think that they expected that. I think they expected to have a good offense and even normal expected play on defense, probably have a lot more than three wins. That just hasn't happened. Yeah, and, you know, that makes a lot of sense, and it's almost polar opposites compared to Iowa State. I I, I certainly expected a good defense. Iowa State has had a great defense by most metrics, top 10 in the country, really, for a lot of this season. But the offense just has not been there. West Virginia, on the other side, it feels like every time, you know, I see a highlight or I'm checking the box scores, doing some research for this week, they're still able to put up points. You know, how is – how has JT Daniels really kind of been able to lead that offense? Where has he impressed you? And how has that duo maybe been with Bryce Ford Wheaton out at wide out or, you know, some of the names we really expected to hear coming into the year? I think when when you just look at the numbers for Daniels, how about this, Nick? If you if you looked at their offensive improvements, and if you look at let's not say nineteen, because that was so tough, and twenty was difficult, but like last year they had somewhat of a veteran group, a lot of the same players they had this year, but from last year to this year and you look at the differences in the growth margins, you would think that Daniels has had a terrific season. And here we are, eight games in, you'd be thinking, man, he's got to be pushing like 20 touchdowns. How many picks does he have? What's his yard per attempt? What's his yards per game? Go look at his numbers. 
again, compare last year offensively versus this year offensively, points per game, yards per game, so on and so forth. It's not because of Daniels. So you would say, wow, this transfer didn't work out. I would disagree with you there because um, I think in, in some time, if they if they got together and they buried a time capsule for this season and they unearthed it 25 years from now, they would be like, man, how did Daniels, maybe Graham Harrell and Neil Brown, make this work with you know receivers who were experienced but really not dynamic, not game breakers? With a running game that, you know, your star player is a guy who showed up on campus as a tight end. And three guys, and you're trying to get one hot every game, but you're just kind of rolling in three. And then a tight end position that just never had it. It was never healthy and then lost their best player pretty much as soon as he seemed to be going back to, to normal, or at least where he'd been. So everything's been kind of, you know, fractured at some point. And yet their offensive improvement is pretty obvious, right? Again, if you just look at the numbers, it's better. And I think it, that Daniels has been able to pull some of that together. Um, they run in spite of injuries. They passed in spite of maybe, again, not explosive players on on the receiver positions. Offensive line's been pretty good. And that's been, a, again, a years-long project. That's been good. But I think that just the the relief and the the confidence that comes from having competence at the quarterback position, I think that's like one of those you know tides that raises all boats, and they really did need that. And I think that there is some explanation there. Individually, stats aren't terrific. I understand that but he has helped the offense and kind of given them more of a, a thorough all around belief or, or capability. Yeah. And, and, you know, that kind of matches what I have seen, at least I maybe would have thought the stats were a little bit more impressive, but I like Daniels. I, I do yeah. think that he does a lot of good things offensively. And for Iowa state, you know, Hunter Decker's first year starter. I remember we touched on that, you know, kind of back in the fall, back really late summer. Yeah. He's got a lot of talent. But the turnover bug has really hurt Deckers this season. That's something that I just don't think the Cyclones offense has really been able to get past. Has not been the only issue on that side of the ball, but it, it certainly has been one. It really reared its ugly head, uh, you know, kind of this last weekend against Oklahoma. And that's something, you know, kind of leading into the defense for West Virginia. I'm not really sure how many turnovers they generate, but I would love to hear a little more about kind of the, the stalwarts on the defensive line and, Maybe against a secondary that's not so great for the Mountaineers. Deckers won't throw, you know, maybe one or two interceptions, but he had he had what was called three over the weekend. One of them, it looked like it really did hit the ground first, it seemed, but a couple were pretty, pretty tough to see, you know, late in that fourth quarter that hurt them against the Sooners. They are um a front to back defense. And if things get past their front, it's it's kind of buckle up. Um they do not tackle well. And I don't know if we had the best sources who were just telling us the trade secrets, if it was that obvious, but the one thing that we got pretty consistently, well, two things, but that, that came pretty consistent from kind of the behind closed doors, tight end position wasn't good. And they just could not stay with people, uh, whether that's on their feet or in coverage in the secondary and their secondary is a problem. And that's been, that's been apparent from the very beginning. So if they get past, you know, a defensive line that's got some players and some talent and a, and a collection of young guys and developing players and older presences. Things can get adventurous. They they have a spear position, which is, um you know, kind of sets the edge on some of their run stuff. And they're going to probably be without two. They're starting to back up. One of them probably out for the year. Um, that would be Davis Mallinger. And then um, Lance Dixon to Penn State transfer who started the season at will and moved over to the other side to play Spear. He missed last game. I'm not sure they know what his deal is. We're talking on a Monday, you and me, Nick, and, and we typically don't get that until Tuesday. So 
My point being, that's a position that's going to be down to third string starting. That's not good, potentially. Their Mike linebacker is, has been good. Um, last seen chasing Tay Barber on a 71-yard touchdown pass last week. I don't think you want your Mike chasing a 4-3 guy, and that's because things just get haywire back there sometimes. And you know their, their front is fine on defense. It, it's really good. Watch Dante Stills. Watch Sean Martin. Watch uh, Jordan Jefferson. 55, 91, 95. They're good players, and they have some backups, too, that are getting better and, and or have been around for a while. But if you break a if you break that first line, you're liable to make somebody miss. You're liable to get a miscommunication, a busted assignment, something. Um, and then that's kind of where things have been really hectic for West Virginia. And um, I know what Decker's numbers are. I know what the, the reputation is this year. Do not be afraid of West Virginia secondary. They will, they just scoop things up. They have a lot of injury troubles. I understand that, but it's not new. And they've rolled a lot of people in who played a good amount of football this year. They're just playing with people who shouldn't be playing. And, and as much or at all, and we're talking starting and key backup positions and just a lot of explosive plays against their offense, their defense. And I don't know if they get right game, but certainly if, if I'm thinking about things for Iowa State, how do I get Hutchinson wide open in the middle? You know, how do I do this? How do I do that? Because it can happen. Just how do you do it is the, is the question. Well, and this, you know, this helps me understand a little bit more of kind of why Iowa State is a fairly heavy favorite compared to what they have been a lot throughout this season. I saw it, you know, kind of opened at five and a half, six at a lot of spots. And now I'm seeing as we record, it's at least seven points in a lot of areas. You mentioned Hutchinson. He is that game breaker type that, you know, you kind of referred to earlier. So it will be interesting to see if this is kind of that connection. I mean, his numbers have still been fantastic. But if it's a game where his connection with Deckers can improve or at least, you know, be built upon in terms of touchdowns and, there were a couple of miscommunications in the last couple of weeks between them, but clearly you feel that, you know, Iowa state going against that West Virginia secondary is a spot where the Cyclones can find some success. What about the other way around? Where do you kind of see maybe an area or two where West Virginia can take advantage going against Iowa state on either side? So I, I did some homework on this, Nick. Didn't want to leave you empty handed with this. Um, last year, West Virginia was kind of in this embryonic state running the ball and just hadn't been very good. And they're better at it now. Like I said, their their offensive line was a years-long process. But last year, right about the time where they decided that they were going to let Wyatt Milan play right tackle and they they kind of had some continuity in their lineups. And things started, you know, one week after another, the same and a little better, the same and a little better. And it, it's a modest day. It's 122 yards rushing and two touchdowns, but it was north of 4.2 yards a carry against Iowa State's defense. And then I think what's going to shock people that game is that Jared Day get a huge game passing the ball. But if you remember that game, a lot of West Virginia's success was built on running. Mm-hmm. They ran 28 times that day, and 22 of them were gap schemes, which, you know, power, pulling, things like that. West Virginia really got after TCU last week, pulled centers, pulled tackles, kicked guards outside on the perimeter, had not seen that much creativity consistently in a long time. They ran the ball very, very well against TCU. Why? TCU kind of keeps their pieces in the same place. They're an odd front. They don't move around very much, and you know where you're going to find them every game. Um, John Heacock's defense is a little bit different. Um, not predictable because they're going to somehow fill that box to stop the run. But West Virginia ran effectively last year pulling and using power plays and creating gaps because their offensive line were not going to be covered up. I would imagine the same is going to be true this year, and I look at the struggles this year when 3-0 and 
um, I think it was like south of 200 yards rushing. Is that correct? Um, combined in the first three games. Uh, here we go. 98, 58, 24 yards rushing. Since then, everybody's been over 100. And the last two are what, 190 and 180? Yeah. Oklahoma. Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah. And I looked at that, and there were power plays in there, about 17, 18 a game. So teams were doing something consistently to get to Iowa State. I look at what West Virginia did last week with their run game. Again, pulling, pinning, using your pieces and moving them to get out in front. It's going to have to be like that because they could be down their top two running backs as well. And the third guy hasn't made it out of the last two games healthy. So I don't know what they're going to do and who's going to play, but I just look at a way that they can be effective against that defense, which likes to play those three safeties and keep a cone on everything. But they ran the ball effectively against them last year, and some of what they tried last year, they sharpened and succeeded with against TCU. I expect that to be mobile and make the trip to Ames. We'll see how effective it is. And that's really good to know, you know, and and I know that the fans will really kind of appreciate hearing that and listening. And, yeah, that is something interesting because you mentioned such a great start for the defense, especially against the run early in the year. And, you know, it hasn't been – terrible by any means throughout Big 12 play, certainly in terms of kind of bending and not breaking. But Oklahoma was a, was able to, you know, kind of really move the ball. Well, Gabriel didn't – Dylan Gabriel, the quarterback, didn't necessarily blow me away that game. But the run game, led by Eric Gray, they they certainly – yeah, I believe it was 182, uh, just kind of off memory in some of my notes here, that the Sooners had. Mm-hmm. But – Health will continue to be a major concern for West Virginia. It sounds like at running back as well as kind of on the back end. You know, I look for Iowa State. They're going to continue to try to establish this run game on on their offense because I just feel like you can't put Hunter Dockers back there and ask him to throw nearly 60 times, which is what just happened on Saturday. He had 57 passing attempts. It felt like they were passing the ball a lot during the game. But then when I was looking at the numbers, I didn't necessarily expect that. I still think Deckers has all the talent in the world, but I, I don't think that's fair to, you know, really do for any quarterback, especially at the college level. And so I think there's got to be some type of balance, whatever needs to be done to get there. Going against the Mountaineers defense that, you know, I think you'd agree has not been a world-beating unit this season. No. Um, the Oklahoma running game led by place kicker Zach Schmidt, did not see that coming last week. I think people are going to look at that score and be like, oh, my gosh, Oklahoma got some points against them. It took some trickery. Um, I wonder if West Virginia has anything up their sleeve, not because Oklahoma succeeded, but I guess I can spend some questions to you here now. Iowa State just makes games very low scoring. Um, that defense has succeeded. And, again, Oklahoma gets some points last week, 27-13, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, seven are off a of fake on a field goal, which did seem like a trick to Cyclones, I guess. But beyond that, you, you even look at their losses here. Um, not a ton of points. I mean, TC did it, but that happens. But like they've they've had close losses and have done well in games where like they were in it and there was a chance for them. Um, I don't know. It just it just seems like the defense has been okay, but the offense has been as helpful. Kind of the, the reverse of what things have been here, but how has their defense been so successful and kept the scoring low? Yeah, well, what I'll add to, you know, kind of what you were referring to in the Oklahoma game, you mentioned that seven there. And then the offense of Oklahoma was certainly aided because that final interception that I referred to earlier from Deckers, the return got all the way to the two-yard line. Yeah. 
So really, the defense played another good game, especially the secondary. I, I guess I'll start with there. And I'm not sure if you remember. I, I think you've got a pretty good memory with this stuff. But I remember when we were sitting there in Dallas, and I said, you, you asked for like a little something extra. I said I thought the secondary would be the best kind of unit on this team. And I didn't think a ton of people were talking about it. And I feel like it's certainly up there. I mean, health has been a concern, at least in the safeties group here and there. But Anthony Johnson has been really good. TJ Tampa had kind of what I would write and describe as like his national coming out party over the weekend against Oklahoma. He's been really good against the run. And it's something that I know he takes pride in. But he made some really nice plays against Marvin Mims on the outside. Miles Purchase is a good young corner. Bo Freeler at safety as an NFL future. So I would say the secondary, their ability to generally not get beat while also not being afraid to come up in the run game has been really good. I think a recent emergence of MJ Anderson along the defensive line has been impressive. He's a transfer from Minnesota. Will McDonald, you know, All-American, really one of the top pass rushers in the country. He hasn't put up the numbers that you would have expected, but he's getting a ton of attention. And quite honestly, I mean, there have been some highs in the in the linebacker room. Colby Reader has done some nice things, a Delaware transfer. He's been practicing. We'll see if he is back for Iowa State this weekend. And then Orion Vance has graded out well, been around for a long time. Obviously, you recognize the name, a real veteran linebacker and just kind of a playmaker in terms of consistency. So I would say overall, Haycock has had that unit. Again, by most measurements going into last weekend as a top 10 unit in all of college football, it's tough that they haven't gotten kind of the help that they would generally need or or deserve to win football games. But at this point, it's, you know, it feels like it's just about kind of squeezing the the rest of the lemonade out of the lemons that you have left. Mm. And I feel like based on the highs that Cyclones have shown here and there, as well as the issues that West Virginia has, very well could be a win at Jack Trice for Iowa State this weekend. Okay, okay. Uh, I misspoke. I said TCU scored some points on them. Uh, Baylor, um, 31 points. Uh, nice total there. Um, if you look at the other ones, the totals are are pretty impressive. And I want to get toward this here because you're looking against, again, Baylor, 31. Kansas, we saw the Kansas offense here, uh, 14 points. Kansas State just scored 48 against Oklahoma State, only 10. Uh, Texas, high-powered, 24. Oklahoma, you mentioned the two asterisk scores there, 27. Iowa State seems to have a gift of of keeping the game close, which, okay, that might just be snake bites too. But Iowa State also seems to have a talent of, I, I would say like, I don't know how to put this, but like doing gator rolls where they get a hold of you and they drag you into their end and they, they see if you can survive it. And teams have. They've gotten out of it. Five losses, all pretty narrow. Um, last week's gets away, but we explained that. But they do get people into their game. They drag them into the ring and kind of fight their fight. Uh, how has that happened consistently? And what is it going to take to be on the right side of one of those finally? Yeah, you, you know, I really like how you put that. I mean, this team is honestly better than their record shows. I mean, not only by the margins, but people watch and see how some of these games have gone down. I was at the Kansas game. I was at the Texas game, you know, both on the road. It's just, it's things you don't normally see uh, from most teams. How have they done it so consistently? I mean, you mentioned a few minutes ago that that defense is not afraid to kind of shift and game plan into what they need to do. I 
I didn't know a ton about John Haycock before I necessarily came and started covering this program, but I really couldn't be more impressed. I think that the buy-in from freshmen through fifth, sixth year seniors is all there. And I, I mean, again, I, I kind of see it every day in terms of speaking with these players at availabilities and what they say on social media, things like that. That defense is not afraid to have just incredibly high expectations of themselves. I think it was that Kansas State game where they allowed, I think you said 10 points. I, I remember it was like 10 to nine. Mm-hmm. And they even said, I remember Anthony Johnson was like, yeah, you know, I can't say that we played a good game necessarily because we allowed this many points. And if the offense doesn't score, they can't beat us. So I just feel like the the leadership, buy-in and execution are all very high for this unit. I think it stems from a terrific coaching staff. And in terms of what is it going to take, Mike, for them to actually turn one of those into a victory, I know the defense has done enough. I, I can confidently say that. And offensively, just finding that balance. I mean, even when Iowa State finds kind of some good things in the passing game, I mentioned the turnovers that hurt them. But I I do feel like this will be a game where if they get through kind of that front of West Virginia, they will turn it into a victory. I mean, they're they're favored for a reason. The team is about as healthy as it's been since the year open. And again, it is at home. Obviously, it's been a tough stretch, but it feels like they've got to get out of it at some point because – the talent and coaching staff are too good for this to continue. Two more for you, Nick. Um, one thing we haven't talked about, special teams. Iowa State's had a lot of kicks blocked this year. Uh, three punts and – is it a field goal or a PAT? I can't remember. But three punts. Um, not great in returns. Field position is not always friendly. You look for hidden yards. You look for X factors. Um, th- that could be something here. I don't know. And, again, we, we t- I'm not – saying is because Oklahoma got a touchdown last week, but that just kind of seems to be the script this year. Their special teams have been um, kind of hold on to your seat moments here in, in all different directions, but mostly negative too. Uh, how, how much of a factor has that been in, and again, in field position battles, whether it's, you know, working negatively or having to defend short fields, bad plays, not being able to get a spark. That just seems like there, it has been a big part of what hasn't gone right or what has gone wrong at times. Yeah, I think, you know, if, you haven't necessarily watched like every game or obviously you're just trying to kind of get into this one. Special teams haven't necessarily been an area of strength, but I will say along that same line, I I think it's been a lot better the last, I guess I would say three games. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of inexperience in kind of those areas, especially kicker and punter, both true freshmen. So that kind of led to a lot of, kind of lack of success or issues in execution early in the year. But again, I think that kicker Jace Gilbert has really come around. Tyler Perkins has actually really impressed me recently as the true freshman punter. Um, So I think that as much as that could have cost them, and it did cost them early on in the season, specifically in the Kansas game, they almost lost the Iowa game because of it. And yeah, I guess it, it certainly hurt that unit wasn't ready to defend in the Oklahoma game. But at least in a couple of those spots, I feel there's been some improvement. It's a lot of youth. And it's tough for me to say that since that kind of beginning stretch of the year and of conference play, that that unit has necessarily cost them a win or or I guess more so a loss. Okay, good. Uh, Finally, really important name here. Rocco Becht. Dad, very good player here. Um, 
Really good guy. A lot of people like him around here. And then I think a lot of people saw the name and figured, hey, this might work. He ends up in the Big 12 at Iowa State. Played in a couple of games this year. The future is far ahead of him. It's not right now. But uh, for people who don't know and haven't kept up, what has he been like? And what does the future look like for him there? Yeah, it's it's very interesting because there was kind of a, a really intense camp battle yeah. uh, between Rocco and Ashton Cook, kind of for that number two quarterback spot. You did see Rocco get into a game earlier this year before Ashton. I think Cook did some nice things. But where Rocco is impressed is basically his ability to come in ready to work. And it sounds like the studying that he did of the playbook and getting a better grasp of things from spring to fall really kind of gained some, you know, some love and praise from the coaching staff for that. I think that's a major reason that he did get in before Ashton Cook earlier this season. And it feels like just that kind of spirit and being able to do that as a, as an 18 year old, someone that did come to Iowa state early, you know, so he was there in the spring and things like that. Those are very good traits for a young quarterback. I think that he's got a lot of zip on his passes from what I saw in the spring and the growth has been steady. Now things will be very, very interesting to see you know, what happens with Cook is he's actually a walk-on, but again, he's impressed. Iowa State's got another four-star quarterback coming in next year. But yeah, really, I've, I've heard nothing but good things about Rocco Beck. And I know that he's someone in terms of his studying and work habits has done everything right off the field as well. It's been kind of a rivalry before. They kind of tried to make this a rivalry for West Virginia, make it the Thanksgiving weekend. But now if you got a Beck throwing passes in the end zone against the team that his dad played for, that would spice things up, I think. (laughs) And, you know, really, really all I like to ask kind of to wrap it up, my friend, is do you have a prediction and why? I I have a hard time believing that West Virginia can can be this bad on the road and and again this this may just be the beginning of the end for neil brown and we're just writing the final few chapters but his teams have just been hard to push over and blow out and they didn't go away last week and they made it really interesting but they just haven't been sharp at the start on the road and they really got embarrassed last time they were in ames they beat them last year in morgantown um i don't think that iowa state has the artillery to really pull away in the first half which is what happened against Texas Tech and Texas, 45 to 10 combined in the first half there. And their defense isn't good enough to play ping pong. So if they start hot, I just think like, again, Iowa State's a team that that makes you play the game in their style. So does West Virginia. Like they, They're very good at getting in their lane. It's the right lane sometimes, but they're good at doing that. And I think if they can run the ball and just start well and play a pretty humble but pretty effective game, I, I do think this is one they can take. Um I just I just see their offense being good enough to do it. And and Daniels, I don't know if you've caught any of his YouTube stuff or the way he talks about preparation or games. He's very interesting. I think he's probably been looking forward to this one here because it is such a um, a unique and challenging defense. Doesn't guarantee anything. But my, my question for West Virginia is, can they get up on the road, especially after being so close against a top 10 team and losing it? And a lot of a lot of dark clouds around the program this week. It's going to be a challenge. But I, I really think those first, you know, seven minutes maybe, you'll have a good idea about them. But also what's different here is that if they are behind, that's a team they can play catch up against, I think, because you might be able to score a little bit. Not a lot against that defense, I understand. But um, I just I just can't believe that they're going to go out sheepishly like we saw maybe against Texas Tech and Texas. And, and my explanation there would be I just don't know that the Iowa State offense can roar 
like those doing that West Virginia's kind of takes one maybe early and says, all right, we're good. We got this to stay in our lane and go. And I, I think that I think they have a chance to play this game the way they want. And and that last part is kind of what I was waiting to hear and kind of bounce off of. The Iowa State offense has to show me at this point. I, I thought that last weekend was the perfect time for them to do it against the Sooners team that ranks really poorly defensively in the Big 12. And the Cyclones were not able to do it. I'm not going to, you know, leave you to be the only one to make a prediction. So I will do so. But I'm less confident in this, my friend, after what I saw over the weekend. I think that if West Virginia get, gets off to a fast start, the Cyclones are in trouble. Mm-hmm. But I think because of the back line of Iowa State's defense, they do have Coach John Haycock, who has just been so impressive. I think they are going to make it ugly, like you mentioned. And, and I think that the Cyclones are going to squeeze out their first win in a long time. I've got it as like a 25, 21, 22 type game. I don't necessarily think the Cyclones cover, but I do think they get out of it with the victory. Big game for coaching. Like not just Saturday, but like how do the teams handle Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week? Um, Game plans, emotions, stuff like that. It's a game they both want to have, can't afford to lose. And Guys are on the headsets. We'll see if they're in their morning this week, right? That's that's spot on. It is a big week for yeah these respective you know head coaches. I know what's been kind of said about Neil Brown and things like that, but we're wrapping up here. Thank you so much for hopping on this week. Thank you all for listening. We will see you next time on the Cyclone Scoop Podcast.